Hello, listeners, and welcome to Weird Era, the podcast where we ask the right questions. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mona Awad to discuss her latest novel, Rouge. Mona Awad is the author of Bunny, named a Best Book of 2019 by Time, Vogue, and the New York Public Library. It was a finalist for the New England Book Award and a Goodreads Choice Award. It is currently optioned for film with Bad Robot Productions. Awad's debut, 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl, was a finalist for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, winner of the Colorado Book Award, and the Amazon Canada First Novel Award. Her most recent novel, All's Well, was longlisted for the International Dublin Award and a finalist for a Goodreads Choice Award for Best Horror. She teaches fiction in the Creative Writing Program at Syracuse University and is based in Boston. In Rouge, for as long as she can remember, Belle has been insidiously obsessed with her skin and skincare videos. When her estranged mother, Noelle, mysteriously dies, Belle finds herself back in Southern California, dealing with her mother's considerable debts and grappling with lingering questions about her death. The stakes escalate when a strange woman in red appears at the funeral, offering a tantalizing clue about her mother's demise, followed by a cryptic video about a transformative spa experience. With the help of a pair of red shoes, Belle is lured into the barbed embrace of La Maison de Meduse, the same lavish culty spa to which her mother was devoted. There, Belle discovers the frightening secret behind her and her mother's obsession with the mirror and the great shimmering depths and demons that lurk on the other side of the glass. Snow White meets Eyes Wide Shut in this surreal descent into the dark side of beauty, envy, grief, and the complicated love between mothers and daughters. With black humor and seductive horror, Rouge explores the cult-like nature of the beauty industry, as well as the danger of internalizing its pitiless gaze. Brimming with California sunshine and blood-red rose petals, Rouge holds up a warped mirror to our relationship with mortality, our collective fixation with the surface, and the wondrous deep longing that might lie beneath. Hi, Mona. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a total pleasure. Okay, so let's jump right into our exploration of Rouge um, by talking about the influence that childhood fairy tales have had on this novel. Uh, It's right there in the book summary, Snow White meets Eyes Wide Shut. And I think we could talk about mirrors and apples and all of the imagery that the book evokes. Um, But I kind of want to bring it to modernity here. There's this thing that happens to us, especially, you know, millennials, when we were young and surrounded by stories of celebrity and media. For a lot of people, Hollywood becomes a fairy tale in and of itself. Um, There's this promise of being swept away, of recognition, of romance. Do you think we ever stop believing in fairy tales or do you think the stories just change as we grow? Um. I think it's so funny that you asked that because I'm I'm teaching my class on fairy tales right now at mm-hmm. Syracuse, <laughs> and um, part of what I say at the start of um, the semester is that for for so many reasons we can't seem to leave these tales alone. We we keep mm-hmm. wanting to revisit them, reimagine them, um, re-inhabit them from other perspectives. Um, subvert them. And the tales lend themselves to that kind of reimagining and subversion. I mean, we're still retelling them, revisiting them 
Rouge is a major revisit of Snow White, you know? Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, and I think I think it just has something to do with the fact that we're introduced to these stories from childhood. So they they really have such a formative um, role in our development, um, in mm-hmm. our understanding of the world, our understanding of, of our bodies, our understanding of beauty, of power, of class, of race, um, just your, the whole way that humans navigate the world. You know, um, you mm-hmm. learn from fairy tales. Um, you learn from wandering those woods. And there is something so elemental and fundamentally, I think, mysterious about the motifs that fairy tales explore, like the wolf, mm-hmm. like the mirror, like the mm-hmm. wicked queen, um, that I think they just, they have so much power in part because they just, uh, we don't really know what they mean, even after all of these years they're still fundamentally mysterious. They're still mirrors for us mm-hmm. to imagine their meaning. So I think, I think that's part of it. So maybe a, a different way of wording the question would be, do the stories change or are we constantly revisiting the same stories? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, uh, the answer is I don't know. I, th- I think that it's a little of both, um, to be honest. Um, I think that the stories shape us, and I think we also shape the stories. Um, it's just like that question in Rouge, which is a really important question and part of the real tension in the book. I mean, to me, it's all about that mirror. Um, you know, that's what I love about Snow White. I love that relationship between the mother and the mirror. I think it is so mysterious. It is so powerful. I remember as a, as a child seeing the, the Disney film, which is still so powerful after all these years, even though it's, it's obviously very problematic, but it's, it's so beautiful, it's so powerful. And that opening image of the queen gazing at herself in this mirror and the mirror talking back, well, revisiting that story as an adult, you can't help but ask the question, who is, who is the queen talking to? Is she talking to herself? Is that just another aspect of her consciousness talking back to her, maybe her shadow side, her dark side, her envy? Or is it actually an entity in the glass that is mm. pitting her against her daughter? We don't know. Mm. Um, and I love that ambiguity. I love that mystery. And so in Rouge, I, I was really interested in, in playing with that mirror and making that mirror more instrumental in pitting the mother against the daughter. Because I do think the mirror is a pretty insidious figure in fairy tale. Um, mm-hmm. But I also love that there's room there's room for us to think that the the relationship with the mirror is a relationship with the shadowier aspects of yourself, you know? Right. I mean, my next question feeds into this perfectly. Um, <laughs> Belle's mother, <laughs> Belle's mother um, has a very specific relationship to her appearance and to vanity in general. Uh, there's a great line from the character Sylvia, quote, that mirror was the affair of a lifetime. She tells <laughs> Belle about her mother. The question being, um, is vanity always explicitly tied to self-worth? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, I thought about that a lot when I was mm-hmm. working on this book because on the surface, it mm-hmm. is about the pursuit of beauty and youth. Um, is that a vain pursuit? (laughs) 
I think uh, on one level, sure, yeah, it is. But I think uh, it's so much deeper than that. It's so mm-hmm. much deeper than that. What we're really pursuing when we pursue beauty, I'm putting beauty in quotes, and youth in quotes. I think what I, what I kind of came to understand as I was working on Rouge and working with this mother and daughter, both of whom are dogged by ideals of beauty, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think what they're really trying to find when they look in the glass is a self that they recognize as themselves, the self you want to be, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think when we start to pursue um, trying to look younger, trying to maintain what we have, um, what we're really doing to some degree is trying to ensure that when we look in the mirror, we recognize ourselves, you know, um, so it's mm-hmm. it's. I think it's a far more existential pursuit um, than 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 you would initially think. Um, right. I don't think that it would have this hold over us if it wasn't. You know, um, I don't think that there would be thirty million steps to skincare regimens if it weren't about something deeper. You know what I mean? Um, than than just uh, trying to fix what's on the surface. Um, so I, I really tried to keep that in mind while I was working on the book. I mean, the book is all about the fact that we fixate on the surface because of all the depths and demons beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And do you think vanity kind of exclusively has a grip on those who are trying to find themselves? Is is that is that always going to be the answer? Or is there another answer to why it might grab hold? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question, too. I mean, I think there's some fundamental vulnerability there, right? There's some mm. insecurity, which I would argue, to some degree, we all have. I mean, mm. Sylvia is a great, great example in the book of somebody who doesn't seem to really care, you know? And there are those people who don't seem to care as much. Um, and maybe they're less vulnerable to the messaging that they exist inside of. Um, right. Certainly, Belle and her mother are not. <laughs> they are very vulnerable. They are, they are examples of people who are incredibly vulnerable to that messaging. Um, and I think, I think you know, vanity is a way to kind of to, to cast it as vanity. I think is a way to to double down on feeling shame <laughs> about yourself, like you know, um, and and maybe it's even a kind of form of uh, you know. Uh, I don't know, misanthropy, um, misogyny, right. you know, um, certainly. Um, but I, I have always thought that it's, it's, um, there's, there's a deeper quest involved there. There always has been. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a quest to, 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 to occupy the self that you want to occupy. Now, who is responsible for your idea of that ideal self? Well, that's a whole other question. Um, exactly. But, Yes, that that complicates things and makes things more sinister. But um, one of the things that I really loved playing with in Rouge was um, a a great anxiety that I have and that I think all Mm. horror likes to play with, which is fear of possession. You know, fear Mm. that one day I'm not going to recognize myself. I'm going to be estranged from myself. Um, I won't know who I am anymore. And, Mm. uh, And how terrifying will that be? Um, and I, th- I think, uh, like, approaching it at the surface with skin um, was a really fun way to do that. 
there is this kind of emergent conversation about consumerism in media that happens in Rouge um, that I'd love to talk about more. Uh, you have Belle, who obsessively watches her Marva videos on YouTube. Uh, you have the industry at large. But there is a quote in Chapter 10 that I'd like to highlight about Belle's grandmother. Uh, quote, and then she would turn on the television, a giant black box. I watched her soul close its eyes inside her body as she stared at the screen. Belle's mother, by contrast, seems to come delusionally alive when she consumes media in the form of film. So I think this is a two-part question. Um, I'd kind of love to just hear what you have to say about the impacts of video media specifically and how it's altered our society. Um, Mm -hmm. And then maybe the big question being, is a screen just another mirror for us to fight? Oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. Um, that's definitely uh, <laughs> the, um, the belief that I have and a, a belief that greatly informed Rouge and that I had a lot of fun with in Rouge is just how movies, television, your phone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, all those screens are another kind of mirror. And, and certainly they inform your private relationship with your reflection, um, because they give you stuff to inform how you see yourself. They give you visual, visual stuff to, to kind of really, really shape your own idea of yourself. And certainly that's true for Belle's mother. She's obsessed with Hitchcock. She's obsessed with beauty. She's obsessed with old Hollywood films, old Hollywood glamour. She watches all the time. She's an aspiring actress. And Belle watches her mother consume this media and is enchanted by proxy, of course, because she witnesses her mother's own enchantment. So she has her own relationship with movies that begins to have a very kind of sinister and powerful hold on her. Um, And that's, that's so important to her private relationship um, with the mirror um, and that, that relationship with the mirror that she has is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's so many layers to it. It's very barbed. Um, it's very shadowy. It's very secret. Um, but it's so formative to who she becomes, how she sees herself, how she sees beauty, how she sees power, how she sees love, you know? Um, so yeah, I think they're inextricably bound. Um, mm-hmm. Media and and mirrors. They're all other kinds of mirrors. And later in the book, of course, there's, I won't I won't spoil anything. But there's a very sinister scene where um, you know there are all these characters looking at reflective glasses, and because they are looking at those glasses, they are completely oblivious to mm. a horror that is happening just feet away from them. And certainly that was a comment on, um, an, on our very sinister relationships with our phones. <laughs> There's right. no question about that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the degree to which they encourage a kind of narcissism is just, to me, that is the stuff of horror. There's no question. Even though I'm a total do, sucker for it, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask, um, do you think we'll ever reach a point, or have we reached a point in some ways and not in others, where video media can be a far more positive tool or or maybe just a tool period yeah i think so and i think i think there there have already been you know some great moments in media where 
you know, it's just felt freeing to like witness. I think I think when media attempts to expand our notion of what is beautiful, of what is powerful, of what is art, <laughs> um, of what is profound, of what is worth paying attention to, whenever media expands um, cultural notions of fixed ideals, then media, I think, is incredibly useful. Mm. Um, you know, I, I mean, incredibly useful and very freeing. It's it's a wonderful thing to be able to see someone like yourself um, yeah. <laughs> on the screen. It is it is a wonderful thing because then you think, oh, I'm part of this world. I am also represented in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not just an observer. I'm a participant. But it is scary that it takes somebody on a screen to show you that. I do think that is, that is a, that is a little scary and, and maybe, yeah. maybe problematic, but I yeah. still think it's an incredibly powerful moment that people have. It just, it, it signals to me, demonstrates just how powerful screens really are. So your work has been described as literary horror. Um, I can very much see that in Rouge. A lot of those ideas are there. There are horrific people. There are horrific scenes. But at the same time, <laughs> as, a, as a big horror reader, um, I would almost call your work more magical realism than horror. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, um, I, I would love for you to describe the kind of genre you look to write, if any, and if there's any difference in what ends up being interpreted by your audience at large. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's room to sort of perceive it either way, um, you know, perceive it as, as horror, because um, it does borrow some traits from horror. Maybe the biggest um, way in which it engages with horror is that tension that I love that horror likes to play with, which is, is this really happening or is it all yeah. in my head? I love that yeah. question. That's my favorite question. <laughs> that's like my favorite thing to play with because that's really most of our experience out in the world. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we're always wondering that. Is it me or is it them or is it like the world? I don't know. Um, but that uncertainty is terrifying because either way, that's a little scary. If it's me, then that means, well, maybe something is off with me. If it's yeah. the world, well, that means that I don't understand the rules of this world. So they're both frightening, and horror likes to keep both, likes to kind of dance between the two. Is it me? Mm. Is it the world? We don't know. And all of my books, and Rouge especially, really play with that tension. Um, you know, we don't know if Belle is just in the grips of some kind of psychosis or grief. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know if the figure in the mirror is her own reflection or another entity. We don't, we don't know for sure. For sure, for sure, we don't know. Um, and that's very purposeful. And I think that's yeah. what tips into horror. That and just, you know, it, you know, it's a little sinister for sure. Um, and I had a, little, <laughs> a lot of fun with the atmospherics of, of, uh, of the evil spa. And, you know, it was, it was really fun. Um, but then in terms of um, the fantastic, I love working with the fantastic. And that's a big part of, of, um, of this story. How the fantasy reveals the reality um, of mm -hmm. somebody's inner world, how, how a fantasy can really lay bare like someone's actual psychological reality. 
I love playing with that in fiction so, so much. Um, to me, it can be more profound than straight realism, and that's actually why I started exploring the fantastic um, in, my, in my work. I would find that I would, I would try to cast something realistically, and there would just be a missing piece. And mm. the minute I sort of dipped into fantasy, I felt like I could tell the whole truth of the moment. That was um, the piece, yeah. That, that was the piece that was missing. Um, and it really started with 13 Ways, my first book, there was just a story in there that was always just very straight realism. And when I started playing a bit more in it and, and going a little bit more into the surreal, it suddenly just opened up. The truth of it just opened up. Mm. Strangely, it was a story about a mother and a daughter. Um, so definitely, <laughs> definitely um, the surreal is such a huge part of, uh, of how I explore real truth, real mm -hmm. emotional, psychological truth, um, real experience of consciousness, which I'm, I'm always very committed to in my books. Mm -hmm. And it's that, that commitment to consciousness that, that makes me tip into magical realism. I want to ask, I wasn't sure about this question, but then I, I was talking with my weird era co-host, Srudi, uh, yesterday about this and she thought it was really interesting. So I'm going to ask it and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah. How much did colorism come into play for you as you wrote this book? Because, you know, without being too presumptuous, I know you as well as Belle have a father of Egyptian descent. A lot of mm -hmm. the language used in Rouge has to do with lightening and whitening of the skin. I'm wondering how much of the beauty industry at large has contributed to this desire for whiteness and what Belle's and your experience of this looks like. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And it's certainly true that it's a, it's a, big component of the book that um, her notion of beauty is very informed by her mother being white and mm -hmm. uh, and herself not being white, being of mixed ethnicity. And her mother, in her kind of misguided attempts to reassure her daughter, um, actually reinforcing the insecurity about her skin color. Yeah. She, oh, oh, you know, sweetie, it's like, you know, it's, it's, you're great. You're golden. You're fantastic. You're exotic. You're you know? fine. You won't need to do the things that I've done. Yeah. You don't need to go to the dark side. Don't worry about it. You're protected. <laughs> um, and then she's unintentionally actually, um, making things worse. Um, mm -hmm. because I think Belle is becoming more and more aware of her difference as a result. You know, she's just, she has more of a heightened awareness of it. And she's also perceiving that her mother is incredibly beautiful. So mm -hmm. if she is different from her mother, she must not be. And of course, she's valuing beauty because her mother values it. Um, mm -hmm. So so it was, you know, I really did want to approach beauty from that lens because I do think that the beauty industry is just rife with, I mean, well, with so much. I mean, with, with colorism, with racism, with ageism, you know, um, it's all subtextual. They change the terminology. It's now mm. brightening. It's now a glow. Um, but what, what do we hear when we hear those terms? Well, we still hear like the, the more sinister messaging, right? Um, yeah. That brightness is beautiful. Well, what is brightness? <laughs> you know, um, literally, who is the fairest of them all? Well, fair means pale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so, so it felt like it had to be part of this book. And it's also a huge part of this book because this book is in many ways a, a retelling of Snow White. And Snow White is all about color. It's, it's mm -hmm. all about color. She wasn't always white. 
She becomes white in the Disney version. There are, there are versions of Snow White from all over the world where she's known as the beautiful maiden. So right. her beauty is not equated with whiteness. But here in the Western world, thanks to Disney, um, who literally added skin <laughs> as white as snow to the text, yeah. um, we now equate the ultimate beauty, the target of envy, the queen's mm -hmm. envy with whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I'm just so, kind of, I'm just kind yeah. of realizing myself too now. Like that's the repeat repeating motif in the book. Also, is shades are always in red and white and black. That's right. That's right. Yes, those are the colors of folklore, um, and those are the colors of Snow White. And so it it felt extremely important. Well, the cover, as you know, is like delicious black, white, and red feast mm -hmm. for the eyes. Um, I love that cover so much. It was designed by Oliver Monday, who is uh, just incredible. Um, but it is—it's very evocative of the fairy tale because of the colors and and rouge itself, the spa that Belle gets lured into. It's all black, white, and red. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's very much the terrain of of the folk tale that she's entering into. At this point now. I would love to hear what your experience with the beauty industry was going into this story and what it looks like now. Um, you know, you have literal full page descriptions of the serums and, or and oils and sprays of Belle's beauty routines. What went into exploring this side of the industry for you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, the book was born of my own addiction, my own addiction to YouTube. Oh. Uh, like mm. hardcore you know, I was, I couldn't stop watching them. And um, I was buying all the products, products I couldn't afford, didn't understand, couldn't pronounce, but was mesmerized by, <laughs> you know, like completely. Um, and, um, you know, just, and then, and then there was a part of myself, the writer part that began to observe this, uh, mm. this, session and think, what is up with this? Like, what is going on with you? Is it just the power of the algorithm? Is it just the power of YouTube? Or is there something more here? And, um, and of course, of course, there is, there's a lot more. Um, so I started, the novel was kind of born of my own genuine fixation um, with skincare, with the whole world of skincare and the whole world mm -hmm. of, of skincare on YouTube. Specifically, um, yeah. Specifically, yes. Now, coming to the other side, I thought by virtue of writing this book that I would be cured. Um, <laughs> I wrote like a little piece for the walrus um, about my addiction. And mm -hmm. in order to write it, I had to revisit some of those videos um, that I had watched before I started writing the book. And I right. thought, I'm going to watch these videos. I'm going to be fine. It's totally fine. I'm over all this. I'm going to watch it with so much cynicism. I'm not a sucker, not anymore. And um, I watched and I couldn't stop watching again. And I bought a ton of products that I can't afford and don't know how to use. And I am not cured of my disease at all. I'm just, I'm just glad that I, I, I used it and I wrote this book because yeah. it was such a dark pleasure to write. Yeah. But I learned nothing. <laughs> Make that completely clear. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So n I do want to talk a little bit just about the juxtaposition of your two settings. Uh, I know you were born in Montreal. 
we're a Montreal-based podcast, so I was super excited to start reading and say, like, whoa, okay, this is one of the settings here. Um, yeah. I'm assuming, you know, a lot of your childhood memories are tied up to our, our little island, um, but then you relocate the story to Southern California. Um, can you talk a little bit about the two mentalities that these cities embody and why you wanted to set them against each other? Yeah, Um well, I love just from a fairy tale standpoint that Montreal is cold, you know, um, and um, and um, and that and that it's and that it's it can be very dark in the winter, and that mm-hmm. it's that it is an island. And I lived on an island off the island. I lived on Nuns Island. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Um, which is another like very fairy tale thing. I lived on Nuns Island. <laughs> Gosh. Um, so revisiting was so fun and, and casting her childhood there felt like felt very fairy tale to me. Mm. Um, and also the fact that it's a French speaking place was very important for this book because this book plays a lot with the French language and the French, the French relationship to beauty um, and how yeah. beauty loves to think that it's French. Like it loves to loves to play around with French to really get you hooked in. It's part of the manipulation. It's part of the enchantment to be a little French. So, so, so Montreal felt very important for all those reasons. And also it's just, it's so near and dear to me. And I always wanted to write about Montreal. Mm. Um, and, uh, and then California also very, very important. Um, you know, we associate it with cinema, with noir, with a kind of denial about death, um, mm. with an obsession with beauty, right? Um, and uh, and eternal youth. Um, it's you know where Disney was first built. Um, so that felt it felt very important in another kind of way, like the light and the dark um, mm-hmm. coming together, right? The surface and the depths. Montreal being yeah. the depths, California being the surface. Um, and I love that they're both by water because water is such an important part of this book. Um, mm-hmm. The whole idea that water is our first mirror, right? There's the glossy light reflecting surface. There are the endless depths beneath that are always going to be somewhat mysterious to us and unknowable right. to us. Um, so, so that's why. And that was actually the connection between the two was, was the water. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even now that you're saying it and describing Montreal in that way to the story, or rather in its relationship to the story, it really is kind of the like, the dark tower that she is kind of condemned to, that Belle is condemned to as a child, her mother being, or her grandmother rather, being the dragon who guards her, right? That's right. And the mother is, uh, the grandmother is, I I loved writing the grandmother, um, the grandmother is 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 a broken beauty, you know. Mm-hmm. She has her own story with with the mirror and with the surface that she is now abandoned, and she lives in the dark, you know, in her like dark apartment, just watching this black box, you know, the television. Eating religieurs. I know. I love that so much. <laughs> the My most dessert. indulgent dessert. <laughs> They're so good, though. They're so good. <laughs> I love those, and I love that in Montreal. Even if you just get one pastry, they put it in a box and they tie it with a ribbon. Yeah. I just feel like yeah, yeah. that's the right way. That's the right way to have an indulgence. Tie it with a ribbon, with a pretty ribbon. It's very French. It's very French. Yeah. 
So there are certain types of jellyfish that are considered <laughs> immortal by biologists. Um, essentially, for listeners, uh, they're able to revert to earlier stages of their life cycles to restart the process anew. Uh, was it a conscious decision to use the jellyfish as a representational creature to embody this concept for the patrons and leaders of Rouge? I mean, that's an excellent, excellent question. And it was one of those things. It was like Tom Cruise, um, <laughs> who also has a rather large role in the book. It was an instinctive decision that turned mm. out to have this um, resonance that I just couldn't believe. Like, I... It was one of those things where I'm going to go with the jellyfish because they're so mesmerizing and, and terrifying and beautiful all in one go, which I, I think is that's, that's, that's the experience of beauty. That's the wonder that you experience when I think you're looking at something beautiful. Um, and, uh, and then I quickly learned about <laughs> this kind of jellyfish. And yeah. when I learned that, then I became so certain of my choice and I really went all the way with it. Um, mm -hmm. and had even more fun with it, knowing that. Um, because, yes, the, 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 the Rouge, the Rougians, the patrons of Rouge, the proprietors of Rouge, they are interested in immortality. Mm -hmm. Yes. On the surface, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to, like, I have this question kind of in here. It was like more of a side maybe. And I think you kind of answered it in one of the earlier questions. But with the jellyfish in mind now, is immortality the end goal of the beauty industry? I mean, it's it's the lie that they like to feed us. I mean, ultimately, that's what I started realizing when I was watching these videos. I was like, this is the unsaid thing. The unsaid thing is that there's a lot of death anxiety in the pursuit mm. of skincare goals. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's serious death anxiety there. We just don't want to face watching ourselves fade away, which makes mm -hmm. sense. We don't want to lose ourselves quite literally. Um, yeah. And so um, when I realized that, it became such an obvious choice to make the book as gothic as possible, to um, make the book really, um, really have a, a tension between beauty and death and amplify that tension. Mm -hmm. Because that is the promise. The promise is that you're somehow going to uh, avoid the abyss, right? You're, you're going to avoid it. You're going to somehow be saved from it. But you can't be saved. There is no saving. Yeah. Um, there is denial. There is taking care. There is living in the moment. But our, our fate, the depths, are inescapable. Um, yeah. Beauty just likes to offer a little trick for now. Yeah. You can hang on to this, this, this thing that you are for now. Right? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I really had a lot of fun amplifying that. And I do think immortality is kind of, it's, it's, the, it's the lie but it's also yeah. the promise. It's definitely the promise, uh, for sure. All right. Last question. And this yeah. is just a fun one. Out of playful yeah. curiosity, who would your mirror celebrity have been? Oh, fucking Tom Cruise. I mean, no question <laughs> about that. So literally. Literally. I, I think he's mesmerizing. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a child of the 80s. I can't help it, you know. Um, I, you know, I watched him in Risky Business and Top Gun and... 
I mean, yeah, <laughs> definitely Tom Cruise. He he has he has so much power. He is like one of our last stars, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, but still and, yeah, quite and, sinister, and still yeah. quite you know, like there is yeah. a, a an aspect of him that's ooh. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. There is, there is, there is. He is an unknowable force, you know. Mm. Um, and so. Yeah, I thought. I mean, for me, there was no question in terms of in terms of Rouge that Tom Cruise would play a role, um, or rather, maybe not Tom Cruise, but his likeness. Um, and uh, but for me, oh yeah, I mean, the love, the love is real. I, I can't deny it. <laughs> I can never you, deny it. Do you think if they ever made Rouge into a movie, you'd get Tom Cruise? <laughs> that's what I want. Um, that's that's what I want. They, there is um, something in the works. I mean, we, we you know we did uh, we sold the rights to um, Fremantle. They're a great production mm-hmm. company. We've already got a director attached, Johan Rank. He's brilliant. They just um, uh, found a writer, so it's moving along. And um, wow. And I would I would love for Tom Cruise. To <laughs> It would just be so unhinged, but you know, like I couldn't help but think also as I was reading this, like it lends itself to, to a visual aspect, you know, like as much as we've been talking about visual media and how that's kind of (laughs) messed us all up a little bit, man, do I want to see this movie on screen. Oh my gosh, I do too. I think out of all my books, and, and I do love thinking about film when I'm writing. I love thinking about staging. I love thinking about mm-hmm. about it, it actually in the real world in some way because it just it helps me actually write the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one was more informed by cinema than any other um, book that I've written. So I'm particularly excited about the idea and especially also. about Tom Cruise. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I will just say also, uh, Death Becomes Her is like one of my all-time, all-time, all-time favorite movies. And so are they re- not related, but influenced maybe? Oh my gosh. So it was one of my favorite movies for years. I mean, yeah. I still love it so much. And I watched it as I was as I was working on the book. So no, absolutely. The, the, the gothic elements, the campy elements... Isabella Rossellini. Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> the natural law. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I no, absolutely. She was definitely um, an influence for the woman in red, um, right. who is at no question. Um, yeah, I love that movie so much, um, and they're definitely yeah. it's, it's definitely kindred. There's no question. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Well. That's it for us today, Mona. Um, Thank you so much. Rouge was incredible. I loved reading it. Um, Truly a modern fairy tale and a spooky old fable about watching YouTube beauty videos. Um, It was such a pleasure, Alex. Thank you. Thank you again. Of course. Thank you, Mona. 